Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. Social media is a waste of time. Large corporations devote significant resources to ensuring that their user base is engaged. This engagement drives profits. It doesn't drive anything else. As workers, how do we engage with others in a positive fashion? Recently, Trump held a big rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez attributed the low turnout to K-pop stands. First, let's explain what this even means. All right, let's just start with the word stand. Some of us know what that is, some of us don't. Stand is somebody who, uh, I guess, is a fan and almost obsessed with the uh, artist. And it goes back to when Eminem uh, put out the single, Stan, in like the early 2000s. So it's basically someone who's you're like loves like that art or that uh that person so you take your obsessed stand base stand base fan base uh and you start uh, engaging them like we said earlier and so what happened and why what was this controversy and why did tulsa suck so the the shit libs or the moderate uh libs are gonna say oh uh, all the k-pop fans got together and they decided to text their number to get free tickets to trump's rally and the Trump rally thought there was going to be 100,000 people there, but it turns out 6,000 showed up. But the issue is that anybody that was logically thinking about this would have probably filtered out any cell phone numbers and locations based on, you know, where someone lived. And giving tickets to random people from New York, even though it's in Tulsa, makes no sense. The better explanation is that in the middle of a pandemic, individuals don't want to go to a rally. So we have this idea, this engagement, in which we have people that are on the Internet thinking that they're actually making a difference because they're fans of a big group. And the group got together and said, hey, do this action. Why don't we trick Trump's campaign by sending them fake texts and they'll give you a fake ticket? We'll make them think that they're going to have a big event and then we can embarrass Trump. And in the end, Trump was embarrassed. Sure. But it wasn't for the K-pop fans showing up. It was basically because nobody came to a rally in the middle of pandemic in Tulsa. <laughs> in Tulsa. So, uh, <laughs> so what is K-pop? Oh, sorry. Yeah, K-pop. What is K- K-pop? Is Korean pop. This is a uh, very, I guess, um, culturally influential, influential type of music that derives from South Korea. It is a government-sponsored, government-pushed basically psychological uh, ops or psyops uh, program of propaganda in which they just create uh, beautiful popular music and sort of distract the population of what's going on. So it's similar to football and other sports we do in the United States, but K-pop is just government propaganda, government music, and it's sort of caught on in the West because the music is popular. And right now there's five or six big bands and they travel the world and you have K-pop and you have J-pop and you have all these these bands that just are very popular and there's a very devoted uh, bunch of fans who will do anything that they ask them to do. And so if they ask for action, they do the action. So you're telling me that a bunch of people that uh, are from Korea signed up for this or was it, was it a different demographic? It would have been U S teens um, 16 on up probably to 25. Uh, less than 30 that would have used TikTok, uh, Instagram, 
Uh, probably not Twitter because Twitter's for uh, Gen Xers. Old people. Um, Facebook. Facebook's for Boomers. Um, and Gen X. Yeah, Gen Xers. Millennials. Sorry, Millennials use Twitter. Um, anyways, they would have used a social media like TikTok uh, or Instagram to sort of push this idea that they should disrupt Trump, right? Fake action, fake consumption. Let's go and we're going to send our text messages. We're going to sign up for tickets. Now, if a million people sign up for tickets, that's ridiculous. So anybody in the campaign would have hopefully saw, wow, a million people want to come to this thing and started asking questions. So you texted your name and number to get a free ticket to an event. So they thought, oh, great, we're going to have spillover and thousands of people there. And in the end, it wasn't that big. And there's very basic things that the Trump campaign could have done to weed out, you know, let's say a million people from New York signed up for this. You could look at area codes. You can probably look at uh, other carrier information associated with text messages, uh, access to where emails originated. Um, This isn't something that the general population necessarily has access to. But if you're running a presidential campaign, you're paying mega mucho dollars to have data sets and, you know, uh, top tier kind of telephony uh, provider access. Uh, you have you know, a, a plethora of resources that let you do very, very basic kind of demographic filtering that any competent campaign could have done because after all this, this was like a, a digital equivalent of people writing you know, bend over on an answering machine. It's not like the first time anybody's signed up with fake data. So this wasn't really a new technique, a new tactic, but uh, allegedly the Trump campaign fell for it, or at least it makes certain people feel good to think that the Trump campaign fell for it. Yeah, I would fire my entire staff immediately <laughs> if this had, if this was a real thing. If my data people in my campaign fell for this trick, I would fire everybody immediately. Um, because one, you know the population of Tulsa. You know, historically, when people show up, even if you were to get the entire state to come, it, the numbers are too big. So it's already an anomaly. You should already do anomaly detection. You should already be doing the, uh, on this. Second, the general population of the Tulsa metropolitan area, according to census data from like 2018, it's about 950,000 people. Yeah. So you take 1% of that, you think you're going to have 9,000 people show up to the rally. That's probably a good enough number. I mean, the number of people that engage in primaries and caucuses is around three, 4%. You might end up higher than that. So we're talking, you know, 1% population. If you go above that, that seems like a rather high number. Even if you got 3%, you're looking at 27,000 people, not even just voting adults, but people would be engaged, which is just a, a, a big, huge number anyways. In an area that, by the way, isn't actually politically motivated because there is no competition in that area for a candidate. Right? It's a base rally. Nobody's going to go to a base rally. Right? It's not like you're in the middle of New York and you're trying to rally troops and flip a seat or flip something. Right? There's no, there's no Senate up there. There's no House up there. I mean, it, it's it's a one sided seventy thirty uh, rally. Every yeah, and and so why you waste resources there? That's one. And two, you're in the middle of a pandemic in which people are feeling the pressure. I mean, people aren't going to want to go. I mean, you can you can say people are going to want to show up and, and kind of be dickheads and, and not want to wear masks. But we saw a number of people who are going to show up and not wear masks. It was 6,000 people. 6,200 right? according still, to the Tulsa Fire Department. 6,200 people showed up, right? So that's still close to 
if you think about it, which is probably if you're out shopping, you know, depending where you're at, 30, 40% of people aren't going to be there. So, I mean, it's, it's a reasonable number. I, I don't, I actually understand why they thought that they're going to have a hundred thousand people there. And again, I would fire my entire campaign. If this, if it truly was like false expectations, like a false expectation, everybody's going away. I mean, you have voter data, we have cell phone ideas, we know what cell towers they came from, you're paying for the access for all this stuff. This is like ridiculousness. And the other thing that just happened is, if K-pop really, really, really wanted to disrupt the presidential campaign, let's say that they said, hey, we have a bunch of our fans, they're all voting age, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to pick a candidate, that's one, and support a candidate. So we're going to support Biden. Learn more at JoeMention.org. At, at JoeMention.org, yeah. We're going to pick We're gonna pick a candidate like Joe Biden, and we're going to go support him. That's one. Two, we're going to ask for donations to either a PAC or something else, right? That's real action. That's real money coming in. And three, we just tipped our hand to what our action plan would be. So to disrupt rallies, it's not texting and, and, and not showing up. To disrupt a rally, you're showing up with 12,000 people to take over the rally, not, not take out fake tickets. And that's the fundamental difference between like what we said before about fake action and what real action is you cannot have this mentality that i'm just going to sit at home and and sit in my computer chair or sit on on my phone and and do action that's just not that's not reasonable to actually be disruptive because you need pure chaos at some point in time for it to be disruptive. yeah so this this whole k-pop event was it was a passive outcome and it wasn't really a proactive outcome so like you just said uh, a proactive outcome would have saying then a proactive outcome would have been, we're going to get, I'd say, 6,000 people to show up at this rally, and we're going to outnumber the 6,200 people that actually showed up. That That's a show of force. It's a show of resources. It's it's uh, an overt action to oppose something, uh, and it can be used kind of again, whereas if, if this of everybody signed up and it fooled the campaign you only get to use that once so congratulations you screwed up a rally in tulsa in june (laughs) in a campaign season that literally nobody is paying attention to like it's just who cares yeah it it sounds like to me i didn't really give a shit enough to go look into the reason that that it happened but it sounds like someone had an idea someone liked it and then it pushed forward and then it became you know viral that it was cool that you're going to promote this and again you know let's not let's not dunk on the the young kids who want action let's we can focus on some really big issues here and that's that there is no organized you know left right there's no organized you know anti capital and anti-trump so i mean at any point in time people are just are, are asking for action and they end up you know, settling for what they have, which is, you know, let's text people and, and downvote someone on Twitter or, I mean, on Reddit and post links and shit on Facebook, <laughs> right? So, I mean, we can, we can think about it every day. We have examples of when people do things that, that are super passive and don't actually make a difference. And, and you're seeing a ton uh, with these yard signs that say thank you to our essential workers, right? But, but this doesn't actually help the essential workers, it just reminds them that they are like slaves basically to the system. It's just, I mean, you're in solidarity, I guess, but I mean, they still have to go to work every day. 
and the doctors still have to go there and and work twelve. The workers would have preferred it changes the three dollars you spent on the sign to the sign being placed in your yard at the end of a cul-de-sac. Yeah, it would have been better to buy pizzas or like make three D print a bunch of those ear protectors and ship them off, right? It would it would have been better to pull your money and and I don't know bought the family food so that they were taken care of at the end of the street, right? right? Here's a meal for the night, so you don't have to worry about it. I'll come over and watch your kids while you're getting fucked by the system. <laughs> Sorry, I swear. You know, I mean, I mean, we're talking about like economic hostages, and we had two types. We had those that are petite bourgeois, which is the the doctors and the and the upper class that had to go to work. And then we had those that were basically the working class poor, which were those that had to go and, I guess, deliver food through a, a McDonald's window to a crying cop. I mean, I mean, entitled crybabies who are mad that they didn't get the order they wanted, even though this person makes $10 an hour and is forced to be engaging with sick assholes who are coughing on them. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here and get on a soapbox, either one. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, action is action. But, I mean, putting up the yards, that didn't help anybody. Tying ribbon around your tree in solidarity doesn't help anybody, right? Buying a pink garbage can because of supporting breast cancer awareness, even though the, that garbage can was produced in a facility that actually causes breast cancer to the workers that are there. I mean, those type of actions are just, it, it's not real action. It just makes you feel good. Sorry to say it <laughs> that way. So much of our political environment is predicated on, around feeling good and not actually having good be the final outcome. Uh, another example of this is uh, kind of as part of campaign season is, oh, you want to have this folksy interaction, and so you get people that spend their time writing postcards or handwritten notes or something of that nature. Their homemade macaroni noodle art that you send. Uh, it's a total waste of time. Uh, just mass print them. It, it makes you feel good because there's like some personal connection or whatever, but mailing stuff doesn't work. Uh, it's just a make work jobs program for campaigns for volunteers to feel like they're making a difference, but it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, and he, he, here's the secret about running campaigns and we can talk about electoralism all day long. It is uh, the campaign is essentially trying to fight for a small sliver of the tribalism that's happening out there in which people are going to vote one or the other. If you live in a 73 district and you're the 30%, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. People are tribal. I'm sorry, you're not going to win. If you're living in a 48-48, which is you know 4% that kind of bounce around here or there, this is where you have to go out and engage. But you're not necessarily engaging the voters. You're engaging uh, expectations and you're engaging sort of the enthusiasm gap. So you're trying to make it seem as if you're creating a perception. It, whether it's a perception is reality, right? If you feel like you're gaining points, that's why you put up polls saying you're leading. If you put out things like, oh, I knocked a thousand doors today and you actually just sat on your couch and ate Cheetos <laughs> and watched TV, it doesn't matter because people assume you knocked a thousand doors today, right? Putting up yard signs doesn't matter. That, that doesn't vote. And it, it's basically the perception that you're encouraging individuals to go out and vote for you. And nobody, nobody, nobody gives a shit. Uh, and that's the important takeaway here. <laughs> and sorry, my head's cut that out. And uh, 
I mean, part of that campaign, if you're 4848, is you need to break into some of the existing institutions and talk to people that don't normally get kind of addressed as part of campaigns where uh, typical elections are kind of your bases get talked to, but the kind of maybe disenfranchised middle uh, where they, you know, for whatever reason, uh, aren't compelled to care about electoralism. There's, an, you know, a plethora of reasons why we could go on and on, but uh, if they don't perceive that there's any value in voting, they're not going to engage in voting. And one of the main drivers of disengagement is because you know, the candidates are sort of in line with their belief structure. So instead of going on Twitter, on Facebook, and you know, yelling at people that are obviously opposed, whatever you're opposed to, uh, you know, engage differently. Uh, calling into radio stations and sort of arguing with the hosts about you know, worker rights, uh, that has a, a, a fairly large reach. It's generally local. Uh, radio reaches a completely different demographic than Twitter and Reddit and Instagram and TikTok and whatever K-pop is. Yep. Uh, so there's opportunities uh, you know, using existing institutions uh, in your local community or kind of your larger metropolitan area that isn't you know, the national social media stuff that's just corporate driven and focus group tested and you know, done at massive scale with national campaigns. It's local, it's talking to real people. Uh, and it's, it's a lot harder to do in a pandemic because you, you don't have this face-to-face interaction. You can't, you know, talk to the random guy at your kid's basketball game uh, about whatever topic he happens to be complaining about while you're, you know, waiting for the ref to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, this is where I get my serious voice here. Um, we'll have to adjust the audio levels. No, I mean, yeah, with the, with the bring back. So, so, so a lot of times we engage in social media. Social media is our friends and, and, and fake friends and people or their acquaintances that are anywhere from local to uh, infinite miles away. It doesn't matter where they are because if they're not within arm's reach, they're, they're not local. And I say that tongue in cheek, but if they're not, if you can't engage them in a real world conversation in which you're face to face at a coffee shop, they're not, they're not actionable. You're not going to change the mind of somebody who lives in a district 40 miles from you because you don't have the same, the same issues. Just like you're not going to engage somebody that lives in 16 states away from you because you don't have to sit, you're not, in, you can't engage them because it's easily filtered, it's easy, it is, it is easily removed from the psyche. What really matters is local action. And what really matters is you going out and talking to people and not, not hitting them in the face and, and being blunt about like, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for a campaign and vote my way and blah, 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 but real passionate reasons why you want to vote for somebody. And that's one of the engagement disengagements. If you have candidates that really believe in what you're believing in, then it's easy for you to come up with a story that says, Hey, I like this person. Here's why. But if you're just doing it because it's, it's tribalism, it's sports, you know, you vote Democrat, you're going to volunteer for the Democrat no matter what happens. And you're just going out there and doing babbling incoherently about what the candidate says you should talk about. I mean, it's really hard to sell. Something. I want the blue team this is to vote thing. to increase police yeah. funding. Not the red yeah. team. Yeah, you're seeing it now. <laughs> yeah, you're seeing it in the insane way. Yeah, yeah you're seeing it like we're, we're like each team is picking different things that they think voters want to hear. But voters right now in pandemics don't want to hear that, you know, we're not going up after Venezuela. I mean, Biden literally texted there, tweeted that out. Why do we care? 
about what's going on in Venezuela right now, besides, you know, that, that we're harming them through economic sanctions. What we should care about is whether or not, you know, the neighbor down the street is getting ready to get foreclosed on because they lost their job. And that's the real actionable item that we can work on every single day. And that really moves the needle left and right. You know, that really moves the needle to support when you show up and you help another individual. So the whole point of this podcast right here is work movement. I mean, this, the idea is, is to retrain the thinking and, and get everybody as engaged as we can at the worker level to know that everybody's a brother and sister and it's time to get active locally. And so, I mean, the biggest thing is that consuming at the international level is not action. It really requires us to start organizing at the local level and forgetting about online. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.